Well, now that Ken showed up, we can get started. It's good to see everyone here today, and we're going to attempt to finish the book of Judges. And in order to finish it, well, we never really finish the time period of the book of Judges because there's all kinds of stories through the whole Bible that refer to it. But let's back up a little bit uh, to verse 34 of chapter 20. If you remember from last week, we have, we have the Levite from the area of Benjamin uh, in reference to the tribe of Judah. So it was on that side of Bethlehem as opposed to Ephraim's side of Bethlehem. And he's got a, uh, had a concubine, concubine. Uh, she'd gotten abused, died. He cut her up, sent pieces to the rest of the tribes of Israel, and they meet together to uh, rectify the injustice, not necessarily to the concubine or to the Levite, but to the law of God. And so they meet at Mizpah, and that's just a short, um, approximately five miles or so from uh, Gibeah, where the uh, incident happened and at well while they are at Mizpah and all the tribes have gathered they make two vows and when people make a vow or a promise they don't always think it through and that's the case of what happened at Mizpah is they made a vow first that whoever didn't show up, out of all the tribes, they were going to kill. And secondly, that they would never give their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin for marriage. And so what we have here is those two vows are in the background, and in chapter 20, we have the, the battles... And we had ended on uh, verse 44, but we're going to back up to 34. When 10,000 choice men from all Israel came against Gibeah, the battle became fierce. But Benjamin did not know that disaster was close to them. And the Lord struck Benjamin before Israel, so that the sons of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, all who drew the sword. Okay, 25,100. How many total soldiers had volunteered to defend Benjamin? 26,000. Well, 25,600 by some accounts, 700 by another account. But uh, so there's less than 26,000 people, soldiers defending the tribe of Benjamin and 25,100 get destroyed. And so here again, we have the Hebrew way of writing. They've stated a fact. Now they're going to come back and fill in the detail. So the sons of Benjamin saw that they were defeated when the men of Israel 
gave a ground to Benjamin because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. The men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush also deployed and struck the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed sign between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they should make a great cloud of smoke rise from the city. Then the men of Israel turned in the battle, and Benjamin began to to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. Okay, so they're they're recounting the, uh, the first event of setting the ambush, and the men of Israel are coming against Gibeah, the Benjaminites come out, so they turn and they're running away. And the Benjaminites say, oh, it's just like last time. Oh, yes, and the time before that, we have them. And Benjamin began to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to arise from the city in a column of smoke, Benjamin looked behind them, and behold, the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were terrified, and they saw that disaster was close to them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel toward the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them while though while those who came out of the cities destroyed them in the midst of them. Okay, Benjamin realizes that they're going to be defeated. The men of Gibeah were the, were the proud 600 um, men that, with the sling that, um, that could hit a, a, what they said, a hair's breadth or a, a rabbit or a physical hair, they were that accurate at a distance. Verse 43, And they surrounded Benjamin, pursued them without rest, and trod them down opposite Gideah toward the east. Thus 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were valiant warriors, and the rest turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, But they caught 5,000 of them on the highways and overtook them at Gidom and killed 2,000 of them. So all of Benjamin who fell that day were 25,000 men who who draw the sword. All these were valiant warriors. So it tells of all the slaughter, and again in the Hebrew style of stating a fact, and then filling the detail in verse 47. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of of Rimmon. And they remained at the rock at Rimmon four months. The men of Israel then turned back against the sons of Benjamin, struck them with the edge of the sword, both the entire city and the cattle and all they found. And they all set on fire all the cities which they found. So they have totally annihilated the army of the Benjaminites. Okay, in chapter 21, we're going to see where the oaths 
were a, a sorry state of affairs for him. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give our daughters to Benjamin in, in marriage. So the people came to Bethel and sat before God until evening and lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. Why were they going to Bethel? you got to remember, they had brought the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh and brought it to Bethel. Okay, was is this the first time they, they bring the Ark into battle? No. Is it going to be the last time? No. Because later on, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. And that's, but that's another story. Okay, so there, the Ark of the Covenant is in Bethel, and the men of Israel go to Bethel, and um, as in verse 2, and sat there before God until evening, and lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, Why, O Lord God of Israel, has this come about in Israel that one tribe should be missing today in Israel? Okay, they are repentant of their rash action of purging the tribe of Benjamin. And it came about the next day that the people arose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Well, why would they have to build an altar? If if the Ark of the Covenant came to Bethel, then the altar would have come to Bethel as well. Because in the earlier chapters, it it tells of them offering sacrifices. Well, probably because the battle was over, that the ark had already started, or uh, excuse me, that the altar was already started being dismantled and moved. If you remember, the altar was a massive um, item that, um, like back when they're tells of building the tabernacle and all of the details in the book of Exodus um, that the ark was was huge because they had a lot of sacrifices uh, that they daily did. So this is one possibility was that they had already started transporting the ark, uh, excuse me, the altar uh, back to Shiloh or that there were so many sacrifices that they had to build a second altar to um, offer them. But wait a minute, didn't it say in the, the law that Moses gave they weren't to build altars? Because what happened? Because if there was an altar there, and all through the book of Judges... It shows us that if they built an altar, they started worshiping there, and was it a proper worship to God? Seldom. Normally it led to the uh, worship of the pagan gods that were in the area. 
verse 4. And it came about the next day that the people arose early, built an altar there, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then the sons of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up in the assembly to the to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. Okay, of all the 25,100 men that were killed in battle, and there's, at the time they only believed just a few escaped to Arimon, and the Bible says there were 600, Okay, but there was a whole tribe that was decimated. Which, in verse 7, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? Well, why is this a concern? There's 600 men left. Well, what happened to all the women and children of Benjamin? They were destroyed. All of the inhabitants of the tribe of Benjamin, or all of the lineage of the tribe of Benjamin, were were destroyed other than those 600 men. If you remember back to the story of, and I use the word story, but it's a reaccounting of history of the battle of Ai. When they first come into the promised land, and they have just won a, a glorious victory in the Battle of Jericho. And Ai is the next little town that they're going to go and conquer. And the people say to Joshua, Oh, just send, just send a small group, 10,000 men. That's all that's needed to win. And so they go up there. They fight the battle. They lose. They fought a, the huge city of Jericho, and now a little little town beats them. And this is where Achan, it's found that Achan had stolen the, the gold, the clothing, and disobeyed the law of God because Jericho was what was considered under the ban that everything was devoted to God. So everything was to be to be destroyed. And so getting back to where one person's sin has caused a lot of problem. And I just deviated on that, chased a rabbit. <laughs> but anyways, um, what this is showing is that when the Israelites destroyed Benjamin, they destroyed, well, let me back up over to Achan. Um, when they found out it was Achan, what did they do? They stoned him to remove the guilt and the influence of sin from Israel. But they didn't just stone him. They stoned his family, the belongings, the cattle, anything that was his, they destroyed And when the Israelites were told to go into the promised land and to fight it and to destroy the inhabitants, did they? 
No. Were they supposed to make a, a peace contract with any of them? No, but they did. Okay? And all of this, and God, through Moses' recording, okay, says, if you leave an influence, it's going to affect you. In the New Testament, I believe there's something that says about a little leaven, leaveneth the whole loaf. Okay, so this is where a little influence will have effect on everybody. But they made, getting back here, they've totally destroyed every man, woman, and child in the tribe of Benjamin other than these 600. And so now they're wanting to allow them to have wives to replenish the tribe of Israel so that they are not lacking in the original 12 tribes. And in verse 6, it says, And the sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin, and they said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. So here they have found a, a way of, well, first off, they're to destroy anyone that didn't come to the assembly because of the oath. And they found that it was Jabesh Gilead. For the people were not numbered. Behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. And the congregation sent, okay, here again, the word, Excuse me. The use of the word congregation is referenced back to conquering of the, the promised land. Okay, during Joshua's time, Israel was called the congregation. And what that is telling us is that Israel, or emphasizes is that Israel has not become the nation that later is influential in um, the the history of the Middle East there is we're still prior to the kings, okay, and this is just a short time after the death of of Joshua, and so Israel in its infancy is still struggling trying to get its act together. Verse 10, And the congregation sent 12,000 of the valiant warriors there and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and the little ones. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every man and every woman who has lain with a man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought him to the, brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Okay, so they destroyed Jabesh Gilead, have found 400 virgins that have not um, been sexually active. They found, um, and they take them back to Shiloh. 
not Mizpah, but Shiloh. So everything has transpired, everything has almost gone back to normal. And the whole congregation sent word and spoke to the sons of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimmon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the, the women whom they had kept alive from the women of Jabesh Gilead, yet they were not enough for them. 600, 400 potential wives, there's still 200 that um, don't have wives. And the people were sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Ooh, the Lord had made a breach in the tribe. I don't think so. Wasn't it that the people didn't respect God enough, didn't respect the Lord to keep things happening, to think keep things going how they should? Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? Well, they can't give them any wives because they had made a promise that none of them would, an oath that none of them would do that. Verse 17. They said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. But we cannot give them wives of her daughters. For the sons of Israel had sworn, saying, Cursed is he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh. Okay. In Shiloh. Shiloh is back as the religious capital. Okay. What feast would they do yearly? Anybody remember any of them? Well, let's start with an easy one. Passover. Okay, Passover was a yearly feast. Okay, if we can uh, think a minute, well... And we pull a little reference from the New Testament. What happened after Passover? And Peter got up and preached Pentecost. Okay. There's those two feasts. And the third one was the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. Okay. And that's... So, which feast are they talking of here? There's clues. Again in 19, so they said, Behold, there's a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side in Bethel, and on the east side of the highway, and there goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side of Lebanon. Or, yeah. And they commanded the the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards. Okay. Well, it's a desert. They're designating an area. And they're saying, Lie in wait in the vineyards. 
What of those three feasts had reference to harvest? The Feast of Tabernacles. And specifically, the, the grapes, the harvest of the grapes. So this is where knowing what's happening agriculturally, knowing what's happening locally, we can help piece these things together so we get a really good understanding of what's happening. Also, at Passover, would the young ladies be dancing? No. How about Pentecost? No. But at the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Harvest, they would have been allowed to dance. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch, and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, dances, then you shall come out of the vineyards, and each of you shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. It's a loophole. They're not giving the daughters, but the tribe of Benjamin is taking the daughters. Verse 22, And if they shall come about, and if it shall come about, that their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, that we shall say to them, Give them to us voluntary, voluntarily, because we did not take for each man of Benjamin a wife in the battle, nor did you give them to them, else you should now be guilty. Be guilty of what? Be guilty of the curse of the oath that was made at Mizpah. And the sons of Benjamin did so and took wives according to the numbers from those who, who danced, whom they carried away, and they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the cities and lived in them. And the sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and each one of them went out from there to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Whoa, Tony could preach a month on that. <laughs> but so we ha that concludes the book of Judges. Um, almost. That concludes the book that's known as Judges, but the very next book that we're going to get into, the book of Ruth, takes place during that time. And so we will start now in and the month of February. Um, Scott and I will be taking turns teaching the book of Ruth. Um, Scott will be next week and then the last week. So let's go to the book of Ruth. And there's, I don't know if you folks may have heard the, the story when Ben Franklin was um, represented the early colonial um, 
free country to the French. He was an, uh, at the embassy in France, and he was part of a literary guild um, of wise men that would sit and read, write and read stories to each other, and everybody would comment. And it came time for Ben Franklin to write his story and present it to the to the group. And the story goes that he wrote about a young woman that a family had moved into their country, the daughter had married one of the sons, and the daughter-in-law loved the mother-in-law. The father-in-law dies, the brother-in-law dies, her husband dies, and her mother-in-law is going to move back to the native country that they came from. And the whole story was about the love of this um, daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law and the trials they went through and all that. And Franklin finished reading the, the story to them, and the Literary Guild was so excited, saying, you've got a, a, a prize story here, and it will make you famous. And Franklin said, did you ever read the book of Ruth? And it's just how compelling the, the book is. But we're going to start in chapter 1. I will try not to uh, run us over. And, but in chapter 1, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Okay, the land of Moab. If you remember, anybody remember where it is? It's to the south of the Israel that they conquered, the promised land that they conquered. What was the land of Moab known for? Its vineyards. It was a very uh, fertile area, and the vineyards were renowned in in that part of the country. Okay, and so they, they go from Israel down to a, a fertile, hopefully fertile, productive area to survive. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons was Malhan and Chilon. Ephraimites of Be of Bethlehem in Judah. Ephraimites, well, that's from the tribe of Ephraim, but said Bethlehem was of Judah. It was one of those border cities. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Emlech, Naomi's husband, died, 
and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. And both Mahan and Chilion also died, and the women and the woman was befrit of her two children and her husband. Okay, Naomi. And she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them food. Okay, the famine was over. The agriculture had returned uh, to where it was sustainable for the people. They weren't starving. Verse 7, So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. Okay. Under the time period, would this have been permissible to return to the your parents? And what would the culture of the day think? Well, you're widowed. You're going back home. You're available for remarry. Okay. You're not trying to make it on your own as a widow. And so that you're presenting yourself back within society. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. So both daughter-in-laws say they're going to return to Israel with Naomi. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Oh. Under the law of Moses, what? If a man marries a woman and he dies, what's the responsibility of his brother? To marry her. to And to have children under his name so that his side of the family doesn't get wiped out. So here's what she's referring to. Verse 12, Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight, also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you wait 20 years before they were grown? That's Oh, and that's after I get a husband and after the Lord blesses us to have children. You're going to be 50. Yeah, no. Don't do that. She's saying go home. 
In verse 13, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Hmm. Blaming the Lord because of her hardships. We do that a lot, don't we? Nothing's changed in a couple of centuries. Verse 14, And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. She is committed to being with Naomi. Verse 17, Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi said no more. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. How easy would it have been for two ladies to travel back then? Very difficult. Not only just on the hardship of traveling alone, but that of protection. Okay, When famine happens, what happens crime-wise? The crime increases. We see it in, in our country today. When de- depression, uh, or re- excuse me, recession hits, crime goes up. Okay, so they've traveled back to Bethlehem. Verse 19, And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Okay, it doesn't take much to get the city of Bethlehem excited. Just the return of two strange women. And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Oh, the barley harvest. When would that be? Anybody have an idea? Was it in the spring, in the winter, in the fall? What was 
Well, to us, it's in the fall. Okay, but you have to remember, because we get rain during the summer. Okay, and it's just the opposite, that close to the equator, they would be getting the rain in the winter. So the barley would be in the spring. So they've they've come out of the land of Moab, and they've come back in the time of barley harvest. And if I remember normally um, in this area, barley harvest was was first, then the wheat harvest. And this is a key factor in the next three chapters. So thank you so very much for uh, allowing me to present judges. And next week, Scott should have the second chapter for you. Thank you very much.